1: Good day, good friends, and thank you for joining us on the Bill Press Pod to talk about presidential documents today. Yeah, for the last two weeks, political news has been consumed by fallout from the FBI's raid on Mar-a-Lago, where they carted off 20 boxes of documents that federal officials say belong in the National Archives and not in Donald Trump's personal Shangri-La. Of course, Donald Trump, ever eager to play the victim card, claims it's all part of an ongoing political witch hunt waged against him by the deep state. But even some conservative legal experts say that this could be a lot more serious. If Trump did, in fact, abscond from the White House with top secret documents, he may have violated not only the Presidential Records Act, But the Espionage Act. One thing for sure, we've suddenly become aware of the significance of presidential documents and the importance of keeping them secure. It's a challenge every administration faces and a challenge that today's guest, Attorney Gregory Craig, dealt with every day in his role as White House Counsel to President Barack Obama. Greg Craig, it's good to reconnect with you again. Thanks for joining us today on the Bill Press Pod.
0: Glad to be here, Bill. Well,
1: uh, before we get into all the back and forth about what happened in Mar-a-Lago and how serious is it, I want to I want to back up and just ask you kind of some basic questions, which a lot of people I guess don't understand about the issue of presidential records. I mean, presidential documents. How important are they, and uh, who do they belong to?
0: Well, they're important enough that Congress decided in 1978 that they were going to pass a law that took away private ownership of presidential records and put the ownership in the National Archives. And of course, some presidential records are more important than others. But as a general matter, the preservation and maintenance of presidential records ever since Richard Nixon's administration has been very, very important. And every president has had to Set up a system within his or her White House to comply with the requirements of the Presidential Records Act.
1: Right. So this came after Watergate, right after uh, after Nixon. Uh,
0: the The date was 1978 mm-hmm. um, that the the law was passed. Uh, Richard Nixon left government in 1974, uh, and there was a uh, an election in between in which J- Jimmy Carter was elected. Um, with the Democratic majorities, I think. But it was largely bipartisan. Everybody seemed to respect the notion that presidential records would no longer be owned privately by the president or the former president, but would be um, owned by the the American public through the National Archives.
1: Uh, And when you say presidential, we say presidential documents or records. So what does that include? What's what's covered? Is it every scrap of paper uh, in and out of the White House?
0: No, it's not. Uh Um, but it's every scrap of paper that has to do with the president performing his core functions. Mm. And more than paper, it's anything that's electronic as well or mechanical records, audio, visual, electronic. So documents has the broadest possible definition. And it has to do with documents that are created or received by the president or his staff that have to do with the basic function of the president uh, carrying out the constitutional statutory or other official duties of the president. Uh, It does not include personal records. Mm -hmm. Um, And for example, when I was working in President Obama's administration, we took care to set up a system whereby he could keep his personal records separate and apart from the presidential records both in, a, in his uh, electronic communications as well as in his um, uh, telephone communications, but personal records that are purely private or non-public and do not relate um, to the constitutional or statutory duties of the president are not covered. Uh-huh. But everything else really is. And to be to be safe and and certain and sure about complying with the law, the presumption in most administrations has been if it's a document you're using while you're working, it's a presidential record.
1: Yeah. So for example, the president's emails back and forth with his friends from Chicago, right? But that, that would not have been covered. Everybody knew that
0: yeah. I, he had. A, I, th- I think he had a private email mechanism that he would turn to mm-hmm. um, that we then also set up. You're talking about president Obama. Yes. Where That could be, um, reviewed by a completely independent person to make make sure that these were private and personal uh, communications having to do with, I'll meet you in Chicago for dinner, or you coming in, or by the way, it's your birthday, happy birthday, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, And we set up a system whereby he could have a private email and telephone communication through, I think it was the BlackBerry at the time. Ha ha. Right. that was uh, that we could then certify was really personal and completely
1: private. Okay, so you were White House counsel. What kind of a system did you set up uh, to make sure on a daily basis uh, that uh, this Presidential Records Act was complied with?
0: Well, um, first of all, I had been in the Clinton administration mm-hmm. and seen a little bit about how Chuck Ruff and his team, he was White House counsel at the time, had set that up. And so I realized that the first thing we needed was someone who knew his P's and Q's. And so we hired Norm Eisen, um, who now regards himself and identifies himself as the ethics czar for the, for the Obama administration in the first term. And Norm was the person designated to be responsible for um, essentially providing uh, instruction and, um, guidance to every member of the White House staff, the Executive Office of the Presidency, on ethics as well as how to comply with the requirements of the President's, uh, the president's Record Act. And so I can recall we had, and, and the one word that was descriptive of what Norm Eisen required of every member of the staff was mandatory. These briefings were mandatory. And people had to attend them. They were not all by norm, by the way. They, we also brought over the archivist, who I think to a, uh, to a fare thee well, probably two or three times, briefed the, the executive office staff of the president about compliance with the President's Records Act, Presidential Records Act.
1: Right. Um, so could norm or could you, Did either of you or anyone there, have the power to override? the Presidential
0: Records Act? This no, I, wouldn't, I becomes, wouldn't. This becomes key for what we're going to talk about next, right? But No, I mean, um, uh, our, our concern was making sure that the people that were working with me in the White House Counsel's Office complied with the Presidential Records Act and did not engage in either uh, destruction of presidential records or a shoddy or sloppy maintenance of presidential mm-hmm. records, and so the issue of is this a presidential record or is it not, didn't really come to an you know to my desk as I had to rule this is not this is I'm going to overrule yeah. normalism. Yeah. No, it was we were we were setting up a system of compliance, Bill, and that was what we tried to do.
1: Right, uh, which it appears was not necessarily the case. <laughs> to say the least, with the Trump administration. So let's go back to August 8. The FBI uh, arrives in Mar-a-Lago. The former president is not there. And they conduct this search of the uh, grounds of Mar-a-Lago and the various buildings there uh, and carry off 15 boxes of what they said were pretty sensitive documents. Was that uh, an appropriate search? Was it legal? First of all, was it legally carried out And who authorized it?
0: Well, I I think there were 20 boxes. Uh um, And it was, as far as I can tell from everything that I've read about the search, um, it it was very carefully carried out. And I've seen nothing, at least in the press or in the media coverage, to make me think that there was any violations of any Fourth Amendment rights. Let's begin by... What, yeah, what do they need to,
1: carry, to, to do their search? Start there, I guess. huh?
0: Well, to, as we've been listening to for the last three weeks, <laughs> mm-hmm. you have to have a, a sufficient evidence to establish probable cause that a crime was committed. And then you have to have uh, sufficient evidence to convince a judge that evidence of that crime is in the location that you're planning to search. And so um, that, that search warrant, which went to a magistrate uh, b- by the name of Bruce Reinhardt in uh, Florida to review, um, was the first test as to the legality of the search. And it's Im- important to recognize that the attorney general, after the search had been conducted, held a press conference in which he stated without any conditions, that he had been responsible for authorizing um, the search warrant. I assume with Merrick Garland, he reviewed the search warrant as well as the affidavit um, and authorized that it it be taken to a federal judge. And as we know about Merrick Garland, he is a cautious man. He is a careful man. He is measured and not... uh, not, not known to take um, impulsive actions, right. and he's, he's uh, careful to the extent that he's completely apolitical to the frustration of many people on all sides. And so when he said, I myself reviewed that document, that application for a search warrant, um, and authorized it, that gives me some sense, and anybody who knows the system gives you some sense that all the T's and were crossed, and all the eyes were dotted. So we've seen the search warrant. We have not seen the
1: affidavit. It is now uh, back in the hands of the Justice Department to tell Judge Reinhart what they think they could release and what should not be released. What is your take from what we know, again? Uh, is it appropriate to release the search warrant? Some have warned that this would jeopardize whatever investigation the Department of Justice is, uh, is, is undertaking.
0: In my experience as a a criminal defense lawyer, the affidavit um, is never released to the public if there's no prosecution, if there's no charges brought.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and w- what happens then um, is if there are materials that have been taken by the government, um, they are returned to the owner from where they were taken, and the inventory is all you need to establish that everything is um, as it should be. But the argument that the government has made against the release of the affidavit uses language that is really very extreme language. Hmm. The protection of the integrity of an ongoing law enforcement investigation. There's not a judge in America that would take an action that in the government's view would jeopardize an ongoing law enforcement investigation that implicates national security. So the the government of the United States is pulling out all the stops. They call it critically important and detailed investigative facts are in the affidavit. They say that there's highly sensitive information about witnesses, including witnesses interviewed by the government, specific techniques, information by law to be kept under seal. Those are all phrases that the government used in its opposition to unsealing the affidavit. Um, and it'll take a, a courageous judge, in the view of that kind of language, um, not to comply with the government's request. Mm-hmm. Now, as you know, Bill, the, the 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 judge has said, let's bring let's let's try redacting it. Right. Uh, show sh- show me if you can what a redacted version of the affidavit would would reveal. And I would bet you there are some things in that affidavit that can be revealed. Um, For example, I would bet that there is a history or a narrative of the negotiations between the National Archivist and the Trump lawyers, followed Mm -hmm. up by the history of the government of the United States negotiation with the Trump lawyers, to show that there was a good faith effort without a search warrant to recover the materials that had been taken out of the White House improperly. Um, so we might be able to get that much out of it. I doubt that we're ever going to get names of witnesses or identity uh, information about witnesses that cooperate with the government. And I think it'll be heavily redacted if it is released. Uh,
1: I, I noticed that the, of course, the Justice Department has uh, still a couple of days uh, to get back to the judge with uh, this uh, proposed redactions or whatever. In the meantime, Judge Bruce Reinhart uh, told some news source on Monday that he had, uh, he wanted everybody to know he had, using his phrase, carefully reviewed the FBI's sworn evidence and that he did find the affidavit, the facts laid out in the affidavit, he said, called, called them Reliable. That sort of tells you the judge is not inclined to um, go against whatever the Justice Department recommends. Do I read it correctly? Uh,
0: I think he's just talking about the credibility of the affidavit itself rather than what can be released and what can't be released. Mm-hmm. He's He's got to worry um, that if he says to the the government of the United States, look, your redactions are are too much. I want you to release information of paragraph five as well as paragraph seven and the information contained in paragraph eight, the government of the United States does not have to comply with that. It can it can appeal to a district court judge over a magistrate. So he is not, this magistrate is not going to be the the last word. Mm-hmm. And he's likely not to want to end up in a, a, a fight with the government of the United States over whether the redactions are adequate or not. Right.
1: Um, do we know what they, you said 20 boxes, I'll take it, what they, what they found, I mean, um, has the FBI said that there were definitely documents there that related to national security, to nuclear weapons or to foreign foreign (laughs) leaders or something? I mean, what do we know?
0: Um, In the 20 documents, we know, as far as I have heard, we know that there are 11 sets of materials that are classified. Hmm. One set by the the most secret possible classification, which is top secret, um, SCI. Um, that is the, the level of classification that would include nuclear secrets. If there were nuclear secrets in there, we don't know that there are nuclear secrets. The Washington post, I think has reported Mm -hmm. the justice department was concerned, um, and justified conducting the search by concern for nuclear secrets that were maybe contained in these materials. There are other materials that we know about. For example, the, there are materials relating to Roger Stone's, um, pardon, pardon. Well, yeah, there, there's a, a application there for clemency and supporting materials, um, which doesn't seem to me to be classified, but may well involve, um, Sort of January sixth concerns. Yeah, since, since Roger Stone was involved with the Proud Boys.
1: So, so um, is there any indication that um, the possession of these documents um, violated a the Presidential Records Act and b perhaps the Espionage Act?
0: There are three statutes that the government identified as. Um, their probable cause to believe were violated. One is part of the Espionage Act, which makes it um, a crime uh, to be negligent in the handling of defense-related material. Um, the second statute um, makes it a crime to destroy government uh, government property. And the third statute um makes it a crime let me see it's a crime to obstruct justice mm-hmm. and the obstruction statute may well deal with the fact that a wit a, a a trump lawyer a lawyer for trump on Je- on june 3rd gave a declaration under oath to the government of the united states saying that all the relevant material all the presidential records that Um, the archivist wanted had been provided and that there were no classified materials uh, among the materials that Trump still had. That turned out to be a false statement. Mm -hmm. So the fact that that false statement was made may justify in and of itself the concern about the third statute, obstruction of justice, obstruction of an investigation.
1: Right. Well, it strikes me that you mentioned all three Uh, as criminal offenses, right? So we're talking, this this is a criminal matter, right? Not just uh, some leftover documents left lying
0: around somewhere. No, this is not spitting on the sidewalk.
1: Yeah, right. Uh, I have to ask a little other thing before we take a break, which is there's apparently um, a discussion inside the Trump circle about uh, that they should release the videotape, the internal videotapes from Mar-a-Lago uh, uh, of the FBI conducting its search uh, legally—I don't know whether that has any consequences. But what does that? What difference would that make? In your judgment?
0: Um, well, it would. <laughs> it would be. Uh, a, a source of great uh, interest probably to the television and streaming industries. Yeah,
1: <laughs> right. And we'd be, we'd,
0: be, we'd be watching a lot of grainy black and white film <laughs> of people going in and out of a building and carrying dot boxes. But um, I, I, I don't think it has any legal um, consequences at all unless you f- see an FBI agent beating someone up, which I doubt you're going to see. Yeah. Um, I think there are no legal consequences associated with it. They haven't made any motion uh, in in front of magistrate uh, the magistrate involved with this. Yeah. But uh, it's 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 a lengthy uh, it's a lengthy loop because the the FBI engaged in this search I think for many many hours.
1: Right. Right. And
0: my guess is yeah. that they're going to pro- probably take excerpts and try to put them together in the most public relations friendly. Sure, a possible way to President Trump.
1: I'm not sure it would be very gripping uh, a television. <laughs> we'll, see. we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. But of course, we got from President Trump and his supporters the response to this FBI search that we could have expected. Uh, another political witch hunt. Let's get into that and where this all might lead with uh, Greg Craig, our guest, former White House Counsel under President Obama. Uh, After a quick break here on the Bell Press Pod, stay with us. We'll be right back. And today's podcast with Greg Craig, brought to you by the Laborers International Union of North America, or LIUNA, over half a million strong, the members of the Laborers Union under President Terry O'Sullivan. They're the backbone of America's labor union, very active in the energy field, building old-fashioned pipelines as well as newfangled uh, wind turbines and solar panels, very active in the construction field, rebuilding America's infrastructure, and active in the healthcare field as well. We salute the members of the Laborers Union. Thank them for their great work building a new America. Thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod. Check out their website at liuna, L-I-U-N-A, org. Back with today's podcast, a deep dive into presidential records and particularly the impact possible impact of the FBI search of President Trump's Mar a Lago estate back on August the 8th. Our guest, uh, special counsel in the Clinton White House and White House counsel under President Barack Obama, uh, Greg, attorney Greg Craig. Greg, again, thanks for being with us today. So, um I guess the, the, the various responses that we've heard from Donald Trump, but the big – the number one is, hey, these are not classified documents. I personally declassified everything before I left the White House. Um, did he have the power to do that? And can he just unilaterally say, boom, you're hereby declassified?
0: I have to say that this problem never came across my desk when <laughs> yeah. feeling – with President Obama, Um, but so we're talking in theory um, rather than in in experience or fact. Um, Yes, the president does have the authority and therefore the power to declassify documents. Um, And I think based on recent reporting that President Trump has used that authority in the past And properly so in connection with another series of events and another series of documents where he um, identified the documents, notified the various interested agents and Mm public statement about these particular documents being declassified. Now, none of that, as to my knowledge, exists with respect to the documents that he took out of the White House when he left. Um, nor have they shown any evidence that there was a standing order that any document taken out of the Oval Office and walked over to the residence was automatically and instantaneously as if by magic declassified mm-hmm. yeah that, so that would be that would be a very very dangerous and sloppy process because those documents um, are owned by agencies that care enormously about who sees them and what happens to them. And for documents to be classified with no notification to the NSA or to the CIA or to uh, the DOD intelligence community or the State Department would be um, really dangerous to do. So it's, it's unlikely that there was any kind of standing order of any kind. It does seem that that's um, made up.
1: And, and there was some kind of procedure in place, right, you indicate, that he had to tell somebody or maybe write a letter to somebody that these are declassifying these documents for this reason?
0: You know, I, I'm not sure there was a standing regulation that had a procedure, Mr. President, this is how you do it. But mm-hmm. um, everybody that's involved in national security matters would know that there are certain things you have to do as part of a declassification exercise um, that that are standard. And if and if they're not done the process is very dangerous, and so I would have I would have said um, that the president was probably told that he could not automatically declassify um, those those documents, but he paid no attention to it.
1: Right. So, in your judgment, again, from what we know, and all we know is what we've read in in the in the news. And of course, you have your sources as well. Where does all of this lead? Uh, could it lead to criminal charges against the former president of the United States?
0: Well, of course. In theory, um, he is the person in th- that was in charge of the transportation of the documents out of the White House and down to Mar-a-Lago. Um, and I must say that the reporting that I've read about how that process was carried out provides him with the greatest possible defense, much, much better than the false arguments that I declassified it, or, or the false argument that there were no classified classified documents there, there were seriously classified documents at the top level of classification, and they were there. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but the chaos that was involved in in the frenzied pack up and haphazard and sloppy transportation uh, and transfer of Materials from the Trump White House to Mar a Lago was the subject of some very interesting reporting in Politico a couple of days ago by Daniel Lippmann and his crowd, where they they pointed out, after discussing the the way in which this was done with maybe 12 or 13 of the Trump aides, that the former president did not believe that he was going to have to leave the office. Mm. He did not engage in, in any transition. So there was no real. Standard uh, process that was put together that would end up in a sort of disciplined packing up and, and organizing of the the documents that were taken to Mar a Lago. It was confusing. The process was confusing. People were confused. There was no clear direction. <laughs> Under ordinary circumstances, the staff secretary would do it, working with the Oval Office operations. And you might even get the archivist to come over and, and help doing it. I think that that's what um Obama did when he left just to make sure that it was done uh, appropriately it was chaotic the transit yeah. the transition from the white house and that may be his best defense to any criminal charges <laughs> uh,
1: in other words the argument is i was in, i was in such a rush to get out of there at the last minute right <laughs> I, well, I didn't know i didn't know what we were doing i didn't know what we were taking and we took a lot of <laughs> stuff we shouldn't have but purely yeah. by, by yeah. accident Yeah. And
0: uh, it was my belief, my belief that I had won the process, won the election and my unwillingness to concede, it froze the transition and we were not able to engage in a typical transition. So it was it was not intended and mistakes were made. That's his best defense right now. (laughs) what outside is- of that if if he if, if there are people that testify that he was told this property belonged to the United States and he took it anyway if he was told that he couldn't take this classified information and he took it anyway that's very serious um mm-hmm. that's that's criminal conduct that has uh jail time associated with it
1: plus if the if the again we're iffing here but if the national archives had requested this stuff back and Trump did not send it back, right? That's knowingly, knowingly yes.
0: concealing it. I mean you've got to there's this willfulness element in all these events. You can't, you really shouldn't be prosecuted for making a mistake or, you know, sliding into a crime. You've got to show that he knew what was going on and nonetheless, and he knew it was wrong and nonetheless he did it.
1: You mentioned earlier that we know that Attorney General Merrick Garland is a very cautious person, not one to take big risks. He certainly played uh, his cards very close to his chest. What does this search of Mar-a-Lago, if anything, tell us about whether the Department of Justice is involved in an investigation of criminal criminal investigation uh, against the former president?
0: Um, Well, at least we know. They're involved and have been involved for some months, many months now, in an investigation of the violation of, of the three statutes that they identify in the search warrant. Right. So, I think, without any doubt or qualification, one can say that the Department of Justice, at least since June third, has engaged in a uh, an investigation of Donald Trump's. Uh, decision to take without authorization and with uh, illegally, perhaps materials out of the White House and and store them and hide them at Mar-a-Lago. That investigation is, I think, is ongoing. Um, Anything beyond that? By the way, that's what they say, Bill, in their, in the brief that they Uh find opposing, uh, you know, unsealing the affidavit. And anything
1: beyond that? Can we see any evidence that the, they may be looking into some of the charges that have come up in the January 6th uh, committee hearings?
0: Well, you know, there are so many components of the January 6th events. Uh, the, the The various conspiracy that made up the effort to have the coup, whether it was the false elector slates or whether it was the pressure on the Secretary of State of Georgia or whether it was pressuring the vice president Um, or whether it was uh, trying to influence uh, and pressuring state legislators in Pennsylvania and Arizona. Those are all elements of the effort to obstruct the peaceful transition of power, a a lawful government procedure, Mm -hmm. which would be a crime. We, We don't know, I don't think, to what extent Merrick Garland and the DOJ at this point are focusing on Donald Trump as a person involved in that other than to say that the January 6 committee hearings have clearly had a huge impact on the department of justice and they too are following um i think looking for evidence uh that's related to the to the coup efforts uh and i
1: just want to um confirm this point though i think you've made it i want to make sure everybody heard it but as former president of the united states Donald Trump is not above being charged with a crime were the evidence to support it. Correct. He's not above, not above the law. In other words,
0: there's, there's no debate or dispute on that point. Uh, It was, it was actually part of the argument against impeaching president Clinton. Um, If he committed any crime, he will have to answer to that uh, in the, the investigation that's still underway by the special counsel in the department of justice, but not, that's not what an impeachment is all about. And that argument was also made in the impeachment of, of, of president, um, the two impeachments of president Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not a, a, an issue of whether he committed a crime or not. It's whether he should be removed from office because he's performed his functions in a dangerous way and illegally. Um, the criminal justice system operates entirely apart from the impeachment process and once you're once you're out of office if you've committed crimes while you've been in office you can be prosecuted without a doubt
1: if there were any action taken by the justice department uh, let's let's just stick to what we we know and we've been talked most about and we've been talking about which is the uh, investigation into the violation of these three statutes related to presidential documents, when might we see some charges Where they to be filed by the Justice Department? What's, what's the timing, do you believe, uh, before the midterms?
0: You know, I don't think the midterms are entering into their calculation. Really? Yeah. yeah. Although they probably should in some way. But, I, you know, I have a feeling that they are going to um, conduct this investigation until they are absolutely confident that they should bring charges, and then they will do it, or that they shouldn't bring charges, and then and then they'll stop. Um, and it, an investigation has its own life, and it, it may well be that this investigation of Donald Trump and his connection to the effort to derail the election and over, overturn the election— goes on beyond um, the midterms. Right.
1: Uh, and finally, uh, Greg, uh, <laughs> maybe an unfair question, but uh, I'm wondering your, your thoughts. So Donald Trump has been impeached for bribing, uh, attempting to bribe a foreign leader. He was impeached a second time for unleashing an armed, armed mob on the Capitol. And yet he survived both of those how ironic if what finally brought Donald Trump down in the end was <laughs> running off with the 15 boxes or 20 boxes of documents,
0: right? Um, it, it would be some of, irony guess, in that, I guess, particularly in light of the fact that he wanted to put Hillary Clinton in jail for the same, <laughs> for the same offense when she had um, emails on her server that had classified information. Um, yes, it would be ironic. Well, we will see how that plays
1: out, Greg Craig. You've got the insider's view of how to deal with presidential documents. Now we understand a lot more about it. Thank you so much for all your good work over the years. Thanks for taking time with us today on the Bill Press Pod. Happy to be here. And that's it for today's podcast with the former White House counsel, Greg Craig. A big thanks to Greg Craig, and thanks to all of you for joining us. I don't know about you, I certainly understand a lot more about presidential documents and how serious this case is for Donald Trump, no matter how hard he tries to dismiss it. So busy week in Washington, and also we'll follow what's uh, going on here, as well as a lot of activity in the Senate races around the country, where now Mitch McConnell, as we heard, already says unlikely that Republicans are going to be able to take back the United States Senate. So uh, let's take a look on Friday on our Reporter's Roundtable some of the important Senate races, uh, for example, Pennsylvania, Georgia, North Carolina, Wisconsin, Arizona, Ohio, lots to take a look at. That's uh, our Reporters' Roundtable coming up, the next edition of the Bill Press Pod, as always, on Friday with three of uh, Washington's top political reporters. Meanwhile, take care of yourself, be good, be strong, be sane, come back and see us on Friday for the Reporters' Roundtable, the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.